invite you to turn to the 23rd chapter of the book of Proverbs. And uh, we'll be using the book of Proverbs for this message, so you just leave it open on your lap. And the verses we'll read at first are verses 24 through 25. Normally, Mother's Day and Father's Day and uh, Parent Dedication Day gives the preacher an opportunity to uh, kind of get out the shotgun and blast away, you know. And we take advantage of that. Blasting away at uh, husbands for not being good to their wives and wives vice versa. And parents not doing all they need to be doing for their children. And to call that Mother's Day and Father's Day is kind of like calling the first day of duck hunting season Duck's Day. I mean... You get a, get a captive audience and just, you know, blast away at them. I don't want to do that this morning. As a matter of fact, I don't want to preach a sermon to husbands and wives or parents. I want to preach a sermon from them. And I want to suggest some things this morning that we can give one another for Mother's Day and Father's Day some gifts that children can give their parents. So I want to use the book of Proverbs kind of like a Sears catalog of gift suggestions and, and we're going to find some things in God's Word that we can give to one another on days like this. Some random verses that we can use. As a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs is a book of random verses that expound wisdom. It's not written verse by verse, so it cannot be a verse by verse study. As a matter of fact, somebody said that, that you'll not expect to find sentence connections in the book of Proverbs. All other scripture, he said, are like mines, uh, uh, rich mines where precious ore runs in one continuous vein. But the book of Proverbs, said he, was, is like a heap of pearls that are unstrung. And even though they are unstrung, they are nonetheless uh, impressive and valuable. So I want to take this heap of pearls and I want to suggest some gifts that you can give to your spouse or to your children can give to you on Mother's Day or Father's Day or Parenting Day. And they fit into two categories, really. One category has to do with the gifts we give one another as husband and wife, and then the gifts that we can ask and expect from our children. So the first has to do with attitude, and it's found in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 24 and 5. Read that with me, or follow as I read. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Now here is the gift, it is this. Let's work, let's work at cheerful child raising. It's the gift of joy. And there are two happy words in verses 24 and 5. 
one word is the word rejoice, and it's a Hebrew word that means to go over. It means to go round and round, and the picture is that of somebody doing cartwheels. And as I read that, I thought of the times when the football team would be lined up in the end zone, getting ready to come out on the field, but prior to their entrance onto the playing field, would, there would come these uh, gymnastic experts slash cheerleaders who would just come doing cartwheels, just flipping over and over like one of these slinkies, you know. And there's so much excitement and enthusiasm as they come out on the field doing cartwheels. And he's saying that the parent ought to be so excited about raising children that he does cartwheels just thinking of it. I'm sure that's what you, you know, how you came in the service this morning. The second word is the word be glad, and it means to brighten up, to brighten up like, like the sun. And it seems kind of out of place in this age when children are seen as a liability. Brighten up when you think about your children. I heard about a guy one day who was pushing a, a baby cart down the sidewalk, had his little kid in there, and he was just fussing and crying and cutting up. And the guy was maintaining his composure, and he was saying, Alfred, take it easy, smile, everything's going to be okay, Alfred. Don't get upset, Alfred, just be calm, be, be collected. And this little lady saw him, and she was so impressed, and she came up to him and she said, I want to congratulate you on being so calm and composed with that crying baby. It's a little Alfred there in the, in the, in the, in the cart. He said, I'm Alfred. He's Fred. You know what he was doing? He was trying to brighten up. Brighten up, he said. I heard a preacher tell about his wife. They had five children. And, and one day, she was so you know, cheerful and happy all the time. One day, one of their members came up to her and said, Why do you not just lose your temper and get frustrated? Why is it that you are... You, you, you never seem to lose your cool. And, and, the, and, the, and the answer was an unexpected answer. She said, I don't keep my cool. Or I don't keep from getting frustrated. And, and, he, and, the, and the lady asked her, well, how is it that you're able just to show cheerfulness and happiness and, 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 and composure all the time if you have bad days and your nerves get frayed and you get frustrated? And her answer was a twofold answer. One was expected. She told about how that the Lord in prayer helped her having patience and grace. But the next answer was not really one you would expect. She said, well, my husband and I have never lost the ability to stand back and laugh at, the fa at our failures and at the mistakes and sins of our children. Let's face it. There are things that happen every day that can either make us laugh or cry depending on the attitude we have as we approach it. Let's work at cheerful child raising. Let's give the gift of joy. The second has to do with affection. Let's work at keeping our romance alive. It is the gift of love. And it's found in the 21st chapter, verse 9. It reads like this. It is better to live in a corner of a roof 
than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Now before I have a revolt on my hands, I need to remind us that the scripture, especially Old Testament scripture, was written for the man because he was the absolute authority and leader. And the Bible has a tremendous male orientation, as you already know. And it wasn't until Jesus came to teach us that the woman was an equal with her partner, the man, that we understand the principle is this, that what applies to the woman applies to the man, so that the scripture can literally be this, it would be better to live on the roof of the house than to share that house with a contentious husband or a contentious wife. Now, the thing that impresses me about this verse is the term shared house. And it means companionship. It's, it refers to intimacy. It's the, it's the love that a husband and wife ought to have to, to, toward each other that is a shared relationship, companionship, and, and association. If your marriage has lost that, he said, that intimacy, that shared companionship, that association, it would be better for you to live on the top of the roof. I have noticed that where there is contention in marriage, that contention always arises after the courtship. I've never met a man who has said to me, now the woman I'm looking for to marry is somebody who's going to nag me all the time. I've never met that guy yet. I mean, I'm looking for somebody who will nag me every morning, every day. And I've never met a woman who has said, a girl who has said, the kind of guy I dream, I dream man, is a guy the courtship or honeymoon. Third gift. So I'm going to give the gift of love, work at my, keeping my romance, keeping my marriage romantic. Third gift has to do with approach. It's this. Let's work as a team it's the gift of harmony, and it's found in the first chapter, verses 8 and 9. And they read like this. Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Now the Proverbs are divided into three categories. There are contrasting Proverbs which usually takes this kind of approach. The second line is set in contrast to the first line and begins with the word but. Then there are comparative Proverbs where the second line is compared, brings a comparison to the first line like this proverb. Words fitly spoken are like apples of gold in baskets of silver. That is a comparative proverb. Then there are completive proverbs where the second line completes the thought of the first line. That's what we have in verses 8 and 9. So that the mother's instruction completes the father's instruction. 
And the father's instruction is in concert with the mother's instruction and they're working together in the home as a team. They're not in conflict. They're not in conflict. I heard about this guy. I, hate, I hesitate to bring it up because it might give some kids some ideas. This guy said he, whenever he wanted the car, he'd go to his mother and he'd say to his mother, he said, can I have the keys to the car? And she'd always say, no, you can't have the keys to the car. But she'd, get, she'd feel guilty about not giving him the keys to the car, so she'd give him money. He'd put that money in his pocket. He'd go to his dad, he'd say, Dad, can I have some money? He'd know his dad's never going to give him any money. His dad would say, no, you can't have any money, you need to get a job. But he'd feel guilty about not giving the, key, giving the, giving the kid money, so he'd give him the keys to the car. So he had keys to the car and money in his pocket, had it just like he wanted it. Well, it's obvious that mother and daddy never really sat down and in harmony worked out the arrangement. Let me tell you, the greatest gift you can give to your children, if there is a conflict between you and your wife, if there is a conflict, if there is a, if there is a barrier to your communication and you're, one of you is going off in one direction and the other is going off in another direction, the best thing you can do for your children is to work on those things that have divided you. In his book, Too Big to Spank, Kessler has this to say, to be united in our approach to rules and discipline provides a sense of competency Teenagers become unsure and apprehensive when they do not have guidelines. If they sense we are agreed and unified, then they are spared the insecurity of too much freedom. Our experience has been that when we are not careful in our mutual understanding of rules, we tend to have arguments. An agreement ahead of time is the best way to avoid misunderstanding later." So mothers and dads, if your children see that you're together as a team, it makes a tremendous difference. Now what about some gifts that children can give their parents? Now if kids, if you've been writing notes and taking a little nap, wake up a minute because I want to share with you some things. The first has to do with relationships. And here is the gift. I will avoid foolish friends by carefully choosing my companions. It is the gift of wisdom. And the verse is, is verse 3 of chapter 29. If you want to check that out, just to be sure that I'm doing the right thing, look at this. Chapter 29, verse 3. A man who loves wisdom, a child who loves wisdom, makes his father glad. But he who keeps company with harlots wastes his wealth. Now that's a contrasting proverb, and this is what it's saying. It's saying that the, that the child is wise if he follows his father's instruction, and he is foolish when he associates with evil companions. And it's amplified in the first chapter like this. The first chapter, verse 10, says this, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. 
The word sinners there is a Hebrew word that means to have sin as a habitual lifestyle, to have sin as a way of life. And the word entice is a word that means to make open and accessible. And what he's saying is this. If you have associates who have sin as a habitual lifestyle and they make sin open and accessible to you, do not consent. And it's a, an abrupt warning. It's like what you would do if you saw somebody about to fall off the edge of a cliff. You wouldn't say, my friend, pause just a moment. I have something I'd like to share with you. Your your, your direction, the direction of your life is about to make a complete change of direction which will uh, result in a, in a sudden stop. You wouldn't say something like that. If you saw somebody about fall over a cliff, you'd shout, whoa, stop. Now listen, kids. The book of Proverbs says that the wise son, the wise daughter, is one who doesn't even think about associating with someone who makes sin open and accessible to them. They don't even consider it. They don't even give it a second thought. I cannot tell you this morning how much grief I have found in parents, I have seen in parents, whose children are associating with the wrong crowd. Don't even think about it. Don't consent. Don't do it. Give your parents the gift of, of wisdom by refusing to associate with those who make sin open and accessible to you. Don't even give it a second thought. Second gift has to do with action. This is the gift. I will shun laziness by working hard. It's the gift of diligence. And it's found in the 23rd, 26th chapter, verses 13 through 16. Listen to these marvelous words. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy, the sluggard, turn on his bed. The sluggard, can you picture this, buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. He's so lazy, can't even get his hand off the plate. Now he says three things. I'm going to give my parents, I'm going to give my loved ones the gift of diligence. The first, he said, is about the guy who says there's a lion in the street. Now remember that this, this, this word was written not from the jungles of Africa, but from the city of Jerusalem. There are no lions in the street. It would be just about as you know, unusual to find a lion in downtown Jerusalem as, in that day as it would be to find one in downtown Durant today. And what you get is a picture of a, of a, of a young person, a man, a young youngster, uh, making an excuse for not working. That sound familiar? It'd be like if somebody calls you up tomorrow and said, I can't be at work tomorrow at the bank. There's a line down here at, uh, in the street at 9th and Main. You know, there's some kids, there's some people who work harder at making excuses than it would be required to do the work. Now, does this scenario remind you of anything? Kid, son, you need to get up and clean your room. There's something growing in there. 
it may be the it may be the fungus that eats Durant. Get up and clean your room. You're, you're totally affecting the whole environmental conditions of Durant, Oklahoma. Get up and clean your room. I well, I'd love to, Mom, but I've got, you know. And then he draws the picture of a of a, of a person who is hinged to the bed. I mean, can you see that? And, and, and about the only effort they make is just to kind of turn over, you know. Here it is, hinged to the bed. And, and you say, now, it's time to get up and do your chores. You've got responsibilities. So they just hinge over, you know, turn over like that. Sound like anybody you know? And he said, then, 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 then here is the person who is so irresponsible and lazy he can't even get his hand out of the dish. I mean, it's not that he won't wash the dishes, you know, help with his responsibility of cleaning up after dinner. He can't even get his hand back up to his mouth. And so here are these, now I'm serious, here are these guys who say, I'm going to give my parents the gift of diligence and I'm going to accept the responsibility that is mine living in my house. What a glorious day that would be when that happens. Third gift has to do with words and this is the gift. I will resist unrestrained talk by being a thinker. And the verse is chapter 15 verse 28. 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things I will give the gift of discretion I will resist unrestrained talk by being a thinker the word ponder there in the Hebrew means to think it through and it's really a word that means to emit a guttural sound. And it's the picture of somebody, when you ask him a question, he kind of strokes his chin and says, mm. He's thinking it through. I mean, he doesn't just spout out the answer. He thinks before he talks. When I was out in West Texas, a friend of mine had surgery on the on these some nodules on his vocal cords and he couldn't couldn't say a word for 30 days that was his the prognosis was he might lose his voice if he talked so for 30 days he could say nothing and the way he communicated he carried around a little pad and he wrote on this pad to talk he said I learned two lessons during that time he said first of all I learned to choose carefully the words I used so that I didn't just waste words. And the second he said, when I had before me in manuscript the words I was using, I began to discover the words that were most important to me. Now I need to say at this point something about the words we use. I am absolutely appalled at what I hear some kids say to their parents. I mean, if I had said some of the things that I hear kids say to their parents, if I had said that to my dad, I'd be preaching headless 
you know, today. I mean, there's no way that I would have gotten by with that. And I am absolutely amazed at the way some kids talk to their teachers and to their parents and the way they talk about them. The old man, you know, that kind of stuff. It is absolutely a disgrace. So here is a, here's a child saying, I'm going to straighten up my language. I'm going to do some, I'm going to think before I spout off with my smart mouth about and to my parents and my teachers. And I'm no prude, you know, but I cannot get ready for the language some kids use. I mean, I'm just not ready for it yet. And I think we need to be careful about what we say. And that works both ways. If you and I had a manuscript of what we say in our houses as parents, it might cause us to think a little bit before we talk. If we had written out the things we say to one another before our children and the things we say to them. For most of the time, I catch myself saying negative things most of the time, complaining and criticizing, never complimenting or praising my children, but getting on them and pointing out what they're doing wrong all the time. And, and, and so I'm really talking to myself and letting you listen in. Picked up the Dallas Morning News yesterday, and I love to read the editorials on Saturday in Dallas Morning News. And there was a column in there, a guy wrote about what he called verbal waste. And what he was talking about was what you read in, you know, wills. You know, all that language we put in these wills, our wills. He said, you know, when you, you could just take out about 90% of that stuff and have a will that everybody could understand in about one paragraph. And his point was that there's so much of what we say, so many words that are just wasted words, verbal waste. That's what I'm talking about here. It's all these things that we say we don't need to say. That's not best to say. How long has it been since you've said something complimentary to your mom and dad? How long has it been since you took your child, like this demonstration here, put your arm around that child and just praised him or her? And how long has it been since your children have seen you with your arm around your spouse, hearing that word that they long to hear? I want you to know I appreciate you and love you. I'm going to give the gift of discretion I'm going to be careful about the things I say. And when I hear people talk about the failure of communication, most of the time, some of the time, a lot of the time I hear a wife say about her husband, my husband just won't talk to me. I wish he'd talk to me. But you know, the problem is not in the things we say. The problem is in the things, the problem is not in the things we don't say. The problem is in the things we say. The gift of discretion. One final gift. It has to do with discipline. It's the gift of acceptance. And here's the gift. I will reject the alternative by responding to love. And the, and the verse is 12 of chapter 3. And here it is. 
For whom the Lord loves, He reproves. And it's a comparative proverb, so it goes like this. Even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now what he's saying is this. That a father who loves his kids will discipline them because he has seen or he knows that God disciplines us because he loves us. So that my responsibility is to discipline and reprove my child because I love him. My responsibility is to affirm my child and correct him so that he sees in my house that discipline is a way of life and that discipline is consistent. That is, it's always the same and it's consistent with the Word of God. But that's not where this discipline ends. What I'm talking about here is this. You know, when I listen to seminars on child raising or child discipline, it's usually directed to the parents that the parents have a responsibility to discipline their kids, and we do. But let me tell you something we may not have noticed. That the kids have a responsibility to accept their parents' discipline. It goes with the territory. Because you are a child, because you are a kid, a teenager, a young adult, living in your parents' house, it goes with that that you accept the discipline of your parents. Now, most some kids resent discipline, but the most accept discipline expect discipline and appreciate it. Well, you know what? When we, don't, when we don't discipline our kids, you know what that communicates? That doesn't communicate that we love them. It communicates that we don't love them. This and I'm through. A number of years ago, I read an article by Ann Landers, the patron saint of all Christian psychologists, I read this deal from Ann Landers and she said that she told about her daughter who was graduating from high school who wanted to go on an unchaperoned trip to the Bahamas with you know, boys and girls were headed out to the Bahamas unchaperoned uh, for about you know three day little excursion and her daughter was getting ready to go and Ann Landers told her daughter you're, you're not going on an unchaperoned boy and girl trip to the Bahamas. She had what we call in Knox County a wall-eyed hissy fit. I mean she had a fit. And she had a tamper, temper tantrum and just went berserk. And she wouldn't speak to her mother for two or three days just so angry that her mother wouldn't let her go on that trip. And after about three days she came to her mom. This is what she said. She said I want you to know that I appreciate you're not letting me go on that trip. I was angry at first, but I understand that the reason you did that is because you love me and you know what's best for me. Do I speak this morning to husbands who need to take their wife's hand and begin to return romance to your marriage? Do I speak to parents this morning 
who need to begin to make a decision concerning what you say to each other and what you say to your children. Do I speak to kids this morning who refuse to accept responsibility in your home and you just take everything for granted and you're not diligent in your responsibilities and chores? Do I speak to kids this morning who, who lash back verbally at their parents and bruise and abuse them? Do I speak to kids this morning who have a root of bitterness beginning in their spirit because they resent their parents' discipline? Then I think I speak a message from a parent and from a husband for all of us. Would you like to give a special gift? It may be that you'll want to do it publicly. It may be that you need to make some kind of public decision concerning a problem that is a real problem in your life. For I found that public responses have more impact on the response and my being able to follow through on it and have a greater impact on the people around me than a private one. Join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for the joy of parenting, for the privilege of being a child and a parent. And I pray right now, Father, that in a special way you would speak to our heart concerning these basic, fundamental, important needs. Because I pray in Jesus' name. There are three invitations this morning, and I want to make this strong appeal. The first invitation is for you who have never first time received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. This would be the, a great time for you to do that. The second decision, you'd, perhaps a decision you'd need to make has to do with church membership. You want to come and place your life in the church. Or maybe come as a parent, as a teenager, whatever, to come to say, I want to make a public response concerning an area of my life that needs a divine change. We invite you to come this morning as God leads you to come. I know it's difficult to do it. But I know that God honors and blesses when we do His will. So while we stand, you come.